Welcome to Exploring Creativity. Our goal is to inspire, educate, and provide a community for creative people all over the world. On this podcast, we explore a variety of topics with a multifaceted group of creative people. We explore these topics in hopes of broadening your perspective and giving you the tools you need to do your very best work. Today, I'm speaking with Molly Fletcher. Molly is a violinist, composer, touring, and recording artist. Together, we explored the limits of titles, viewing yourself as a business and a creative, the various forms of practice, and so much more. It was a great conversation with a great friend, and I'm super excited for you to hear it. Hi, how are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Doing well. I'm in New York. I'm in. I'm in it. We're very close to each other, I think, right? Like, you are in Williamsburg. Where are you at? Greenpoint. Oh, no way. Okay. Yeah, let's hang out soon in real yeah. life. At Club A. At Club A, for sure. Uh, I could pick you up on my skateboard, unless you have a skateboard and we can skate to the lanes. I'm not really a skateboarder candidate. I've done some skateboarding, but I always end up like ripping my jeans or something like that. So Yeah. Okay. And I'm, well, I'm nervous about my wrist. Everyone's probably heard me say this a million times, but like, I don't want to hurt my wrist. Yeah, true. Uh, they do sell wrist guards, but like that's well, me. I sleep with them. I sleep with them on. Don't worry. I, I for real. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. Okay. You're like really taking care of those wrists. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I like have a tendency to like go like this when I'm sleeping. So mm-hmm. this amount of time, like it's not, it's not good. So I, I started noticing it. So I had to start wearing the braces. I love it. Do you do any wrist exercises? Yeah, straight stretches, of course, yoga. There's like one that I really like is standing in forward fold and then putting your foot on top of your hand like this and then stretching your wrist that way. That feels really good. What other what wrist exercises can people do uh, at their desk? Of course, circles. You can always do circles. Classic circles. You know, pull here, pull down here, you know, both ways. Got to be gentle. And then I always do like self-massage on my my forearms. I don't think I've ever done that in my life. And now I'm like, what a thing. Yeah, yeah. You can really get all these muscles because mine will get there. And really, you can go all the way up your arm and into your shoulder. Like I have a lot of shoulder and neck. As you can imagine, I have to be very sensitive to it. But but I'll do this on the plane. And like I often like rest my hand just naturally like Like falls up. Yeah, just like kind of resting. Okay. I kind of like starting these lives off with a a stretch. That's cool. Yeah, it's just so important because when you're playing an instrument, you just really don't want to be tight. And if you're nervous, sometimes just, oh, this is another good one. Like slowly opening and closing, especially if you're nervous, that is a tough one because you're like, you know. Right. The heart. Nervous. Yeah. Doesn't send blood to the hands. You got to get these, wake them up. Right. And it's just so many fine motor movements. So to just kind of like all the joints getting in there. And so you are there like, like, are there doctors for hands? Hand doctors? Totally. Of yeah. course. Yeah. I have, have you met them? No, thank God. I don't know that I want to meet a hand doctor. True. Or like a, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> hand doc. Yeah. What about like, are there like, people that focus on the hands that aren't doctors per se, but like help you, like that teach you these kind of things. Or is it all you? Yeah, no, it's a lot of it's like there's Alexander technique, which is pop. A lot of musicians 
will take classes or learn about Alexander technique, of course, like yoga and like those things. I think that there's like pressure points in your hands and like, you know, acupuncture. I think you can do stuff with your hands. I don't know. I haven't delved into like solo hand stuff outside of just like generally trying to take care of it and avoid things like skateboarding and right. I'm all like, oh, I don't want to hurt my hand or my wrist or my neck. Like I was on the lake this summer and I really wanted to do the the wake skating, but yeah. I ended up just doing the tubing. Um, but even that, I was like, fuck, I don't want to hurt my uh, neck. Right. So you're like, you're really, I, I love how considerate you are about your profession and so conscious and aware of like, got to preserve this, this bod, these hands. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, I definitely think you have to treat your body like. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a tool in a lot of ways for what I do physically, like mm-hmm. with music, um, being on camera and stuff, and just you know, getting good sleep before a performance, not messing mm-hmm. up my wrist, not endangering myself. Like it just sets you up in the future for not like you know, having a wrist accident that takes you out for a whole year or more. Like, right, right. God forbid these things happen anyway. Like, you know, you just want to try to... Well, I think you're right. I think, um, you know, I feel at every live, it's interesting every Wednesday doing these, you know, some Wednesdays there's like, I'm up the night before I drank or I like was creating or both or one or the other. And like other times I've well rested. Like tonight I'm teaching a class it's interesting to like check in every Wednesday at the start of these and be like, where's my head at? Like, where am I? Like, how ready am I or able am I to conduct an hour, two and a half hour interview? Um, yeah, yeah, it's really important. And like, there's, I've definitely had the feeling of where things have gone wrong because of I've gotten in my own way or, I, yeah. you know, actually the performance I had recently that was my original music, I walked away from it just being like I was not set up properly I wasn't in, in the zone like mm. I was tired I had totally over exhausted myself during the day by going to the beach um dehydrated so, yeah it was just like uh, oh that was like not the best move but um it's good and you don't want to like not live your life but right. like you do have I'm just also as I get older like if I'm if I have something big like I'm not gonna be drinking the day before like I just won't like yeah like it's, who knows what could happen who knows who knows what could happen on this live we don't know <laughs> wait uh, we don't we don't know everybody tuned in I'm seeing some some familiar faces familiar faces familiar fans names and people that I have it seems like the internet loves you and based on the content I've seen over the past, how long have we known each other? Like four months, three months, six yeah, months? Yeah, it hasn't been, uh, hasn't I don't been know. not long. I was thinking about this all the way here. Yeah. I was like, we're definitely like friends, but I feel like we're getting to still getting to know each other, but also it's very friendly. Yeah. Already. You know? Yeah. Well, I'm glad you said that. I, I'm glad you didn't say, well, I really don't feel like we're friends. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was thinking about on the way here, you know? Oh man, yeah. no, I, you're my friend. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And same here. And yeah, I'm excited to like to dig in on your and your process on your on how you think about creativity and your work. I mean, you're like a what some call on the Internet, a multi potentialite, someone that is exploring all the things, uh, yeah. writing your 
a subhead on the post that was like, all right, violinist. And like, I would also composer and also touring and also recording. It's that sometimes gets in my head that it's too many like offshoots. It's like uh, trying to figure out how to focus in one direction is like not. I feel like I love working in so many different creative ways that it's hard to just commit to like one. Yeah, that's it. I, you know, I hear you one thousand percent. And uh, about I don't know how many months now, time is becoming very confusing traveling time zones and being different places. But I'd say like, let's say nine months ago, I was in San Diego. I spent a month there and I was like, I'm gonna spend a month by the beach, like with my best friend since I was like four, who you'll meet, Ross, Michael, you'll meet at some point, amazing character. Um, Him and I were like a block away from each other. And I was like, I'm just gonna like dive into the cell, figure out what I wanna do define the self, which is like, I've learned one of the hardest things one can even do because we're always changing. That's a whole another story. But right, right. hit me that I was like, shit, I'm good at a lot of things. And I don't, not to like brag, it's just, I, I'm good at things. There's things that I'm good at. And it's not just one thing. And I was like, and it hit me how like, wow, that, why is this difficult to be good at more than one thing? Like, why is that not like something in society where mm-hmm. we were like, amazing. This person's good at more than just a single thing. Uh, yeah. And I dug into it and that's where I discovered that term multi-potentiality. Uh, but, and I was like, yeah, oh, like multiple areas of potential. Yeah. Which potential is a whole different concept. It doesn't mean that you aren't already there, but like right. this is something someone coined. It's a, there's a TED talk you could find yeah. about it. Um, um, and basically I, I felt like I, I felt sort of seen and heard in that moment because I'm like, oh, wait, like there are other people that are kind of struggling with the same concept of like, I'm good at more than one thing. But And then I was like, well, why is this like something to struggle with? And I dug in more and it was like, this idea of specialization is a concept that was like coined the same way multi-potentiality was just coined. It was like, right, you have to right. specialize. That's the way you exist in this society. That's how you become a good worker. And I was like, well, when did specialization even happen? Like, early humans weren't like, all right, I need to be good at like making a wheel. Like that's all I'm going to do. Like my, well, you could think about specialization in like hunting, gathering, like, you know, natural things like that. Yeah. You but even then, but I feel like you had to know more. But yeah. even then, but even then they were like, you know, I'm pretty good at violin and I could also tour and hunt and gather. And hunt and gather. You know, I think there's a lot of things that come loaded with these words and titles and expectations. And I think that's honestly the hard part about it. It's not the almost like doing each thing because they all like for myself are similar and relate to each other. So it's not like I'm a doctor one day and like a violinist the other, which would be kind of cool. And there are people that do that, but it's not what I'm talking. I think what we're talking about right now, but um yeah, so I think that like there's a lot of pressure that comes from the like if you if you are a touring artist, then that's just the only thing that you can do or, you know, or just like the pressure of what that means. I don't know. Yeah. Well, what about title? You mentioned titles and expectations. I mean, there's definitely like those two go hand in hand. If I'm like, you're a violinist to so some people, they're like, that's all I am. And so my right. identity is shaped around right. that. Like, have you struggled with that is like breaking that sort of sense of identity? Yeah, that is, it's definitely one, a super big thing, because especially as a classically trained violinist that came from such a classical, like, upbringing and, like, in terms of, like, schooling from a young age, it's all that, 
being a violinist, they want to play other music and play other styles. And like, if you're not soloing with orchestras only, are you, can you consider yourself a pure violinist? Like, a solo, mm-hmm. you know, it's like sometimes you could solo with an artist or with an orchestra, but if you don't, then, you know, it's like, that's, it's such a big thing. And just like the culture around classical playing and all that stuff it's like violinists and string players will know exactly what i mean by all of this uh, for hard. those that are for those that are not that like myself what what do you mean by it i, I would assume there's a different to define yeah culture. it's like there's there's a lot of clicks and like if you play like oh if you improvise then that makes you one type of instructor one type type of player if you know if you play non-classical gigs then that makes you a different type of player you know it's like people have feelings about it yeah are just like ridiculous both of them but like you know if you play something and like remix it you know take a beethoven something and remix it there's gonna be a whole bunch of people that are gonna be upset by that as a mm-hmm. deep like like uh I don't know, blasphemous or something. I've seen some crazy comments about that. But yeah, that's definitely something. And then even working in recorded, more recorded music versus a string player, you know, it starts to get murky once you start being like, you know, working on the on the other end of it, on the other side of the microphone. Yeah, yeah. So you're saying like the role here is so loaded, like having a title rather in in the industry, in the subset of the music industry that you're in. Yeah. Like having a title comes with a lot of loaded expectations. I've been been trying to come up with a website name for months and months Mm. and months. (laughs) I'm saying that's funny, but it's true. It's like, what do you, do I put violin? Do I put music? Do I put this, that? It's like all of it's just like the new compartment. And it's like, then people think a certain way about your playing you know, who you, what you do, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, it's, it's very charged up. And what's interesting, what I found really fascinating about your career from the, the, the small view that I've had into it since we've known each other was like, wow, this is someone that's taking classical instrument. I'm all like, I'm about to steal Molly that to you. Lane, Lane, Lane knows exactly what I'm talking about. Well, we should definitely talk about it. Molly, no, we can't talk about Molly that to you right now. Yeah, we're not talking about Molly. That offline, me, you, and Lane need to get together and talk about yeah. branding. We'll, we'll, we'll have that conversation. I'm trying to go to Club A immediately. Yeah, let's get to Club A. Me, you at Club A. Molly TV. Perfect. I have a class to teach tonight, but maybe I should just tell him to come to Club A and really learn about life. But um, okay, so you're saying, you know, uh, sorry, what I was saying is that from knowing you, it's like here's someone who takes this classical instrument, but they're applying it to like. Uh, uh, music that people are going to like you're accompanying DJs or you're accompanying other musicians or you're doing solo work that is not I, I assume and I haven't I honestly admittedly haven't dug into your discography and, and I will and I should I can't wait to see you perform live but the music that you're making is that like rooted in classical music is that something new it's a fusion of like classical, like traditions and stuff, but having like the looping and the technical element of that is, is kind of taking it into the current present day terms. But so, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm seeing sort of that, like you're trying to say, well, I know that there's these loaded terms, but like, and loaded expectations, but you're still trying to like modernize it and push it in whatever direction feels right to you. Yeah. Um, and that's something I noticed right away. I kind of just felt that 
uh, just knowing your personality before I even knew that you played music at all. Uh, and then I, I, remember, I remember that conversation. I'm like, you're so knowledgeable about music. You have an insanely amazing sense of rhythm and dance. And I'm like, and then I found out you, you made music and I was like, oh, well, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, oh. But I think it's great to be able to think about, well, how can I take what was came before the traditions of classical music and bring it into this this age? But I could definitely see that whole the the camp of people that are like you stick to one thing, you do it one way, you know, coming at you like there's anywhere in life. Like Yeah. You know, I think we all have to as humans be constantly adapting, otherwise, you know, something bad will happen. Ooh. Wow. What do you think will happen? Is this a premonition? <laughs> no, but you just have to adapt and like change with change with what's going on with yourself and also just the world and what's around you and like take stock in what's working and what's not. And I think like, yeah, that's, it can be difficult. Yeah. On the opposite end of that, are there any like traditions and sort of... It's so good. Pop up, like, love it. The Macarena said it all. It's true. That was the first Epic thing. Macarena moment. That's for sure. I hadn't done, done the Macarena. I have such a vivid memory of the Macarena, like from childhood that like I relive it every time I hear the word Macarena or hear the Macarena or do the Macarena. Like, it's so crazy. Um, can you, can you share your Macarena memory? That's pretty much why I have you here. This, the series is called yeah. Memories. Yep. Let's hear about it. We did it. I had like this theater music class in elementary school and it took place in the auditorium and the teacher had a piano at the front. We would all sit at the front of the, um, wow, it's so funny. Uh, at the front, front of the auditorium. And, um, that day we were learning the Macarena. So we learned the Macarena in, in school. <laughs> and I remember being like, what the heck is this? And I had heard it before, but seeing it in school was like, it felt like something crazy. Like it felt like, oh my God, like this thing that exists outside of school is now we're doing it in school. And I just remember that we, we, we were at the front of the, um, the front of the room. We were all in a line. And then we actually got to do a train all the way up to the stage and we did the Macarena on stage. Now, what were they playing the actual recording of the Macarena or was it like on piano? Out of, no, so like boombox, but that would be thick. a piano arrangement. Right? Dun, 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 dun. I was thinking something more like classical, <laughs> classical version. <laughs> would you be able to get your, your violin and maybe perform a classical no. Macarena? Lyle. Oh, but I, I kind of like this idea and I have a friend, she makes amazing arrangements of like random things. And I think this would be a good one for us to work on. Who's that friend? Let's shout them out. Monica. 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 Monica Martins? Macarena. Martin. You met her, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. She just made an arrangement of Proud Mary, which is so unique for quartet, string quartet arrangement of Proud Mary. It sounded awesome. Monica Martin's Macarena Memories, the series on Netflix. Um, okay, well, yeah, my Macarena memory happened at Jones Beach on Long Island. And um, wow, lovely. You should know that I have a series. Oh, neat. come on, Lori. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, it happened at Jones Beach. And I um, remember hearing it. There was like an outdoor performance of it and seeing the dance happened with like dozens of people was unreal. There it is. 
<laughs> the first Macarena ever on this series. I think we, yeah, I, I did. We did a whole playlist that night of all songs that call out dance. Yeah. That might have been my idea. Probably was. Yeah, I think so. Uh, everyone in the comments, please leave your favorite dance based song in the Pop, comments. It could be that one. It could be, you know, not songs that have a dance. Like TikTok has dance style for songs, but they're not spelled out. Like the cha-cha slide, perfect example. Like right. they tell you what to do. It's a crowd every time. It is. People love musically to be told what to do. Make some noise. They love it. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone in the crowd, make some noise. Everyone in the comments, here's your mic. Make some noise. Woo. All right. All right. So we talked about identity. We talked about the body as a tool. Where do we go from here? I, these, these are all such great topics. I mean, we talked about the Macarena. We're talking about the electric slide. I mean, I don't really know what else there is to cover um, after that. I mean, you asked how long this is. Maybe it's only two minutes of this. <laughs> totally kidding. There's plenty we, we can cover. Um, I sent you a list of topics. You, you did. Said, like, I lost. I saw it with 157. I was driving and I just was being a safe driver. Yeah. Was there anything, any word that stood out that you were like, oh, or oh, a yeah. chunk of words? Uh, what was it? It's funny because it's not coming to me. Or, well, I guess all of them actually. I was like, all right, like these are all good. Oh, oh we're going to get into this. Oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, there's nothing on here and it's like off limit or that's something that I'm like, no, I don't want to discuss, but. Because if there was, that would be the thing we'd start with, so. Right. I know if I said it, you would be like, let's start with that one. <laughs> so you know me well. It's only been a few months, but that is how I operate. Um, well, I like, I want to dive into the parts that are a little uncomfortable because creativity is relatively subjective for the most part. Um, right. And it then creates sort of this confusion in many ways and doubt and self-esteem issues and all these other things that can pop up when you're involved in like a very subjective medium. So I kind of like opting for these more difficult topics because everyone's dealing and coming at it with a certain approach. Um, right. And it's always different for everyone. So one of my favorite topics to cover is personal roadblocks because those can be light based, but they always trickle into the creative work. And I'm curious for you, like, what is what have been the personal roadblocks for you with your creative work that that you're that you've never shared to the world until now? Let's um, go. <laughs> um, well, I think it's funny because I guess the main thing is going back to kind of what we were talking about earlier about like doing things outside of classical music. Yeah, like I guess. I guess one simple example, creative roadblock is feeling like I can like sing. That's like a hard one. I think as a violinist, I'm always around like the most amazing singers, like literally the most amazing singers. And I like, and I respect the, you know, what it's like to learn an instrument and play it at a professional level. So like your voice is your instrument. But I think that's one road, creative roadblock that like sometimes I want to incorporate that more in some of my original music and I'm like oh I don't know that I'm good at but that's easily solved by taking lessons and just like jump I, I always feel when I have things that make me feel uncomfortable I tend to like really go into it further to like make it like exposure therapy yeah yeah <laughs> I completely agree 
Uh, yeah. What is something recently where you've done that and kind of turned the corner on, or I went like this, this is really a hill, where have you overcame the hill of sort of feeling like afraid to do something creatively, but then just dove into it? I think when I first put out my first EP, like I was really nervous about doing that and just thinking that like it was going to be good enough to like publish kind of thing. Like again, it's like the word composer or you're like, oh, am I allowed? Like, when do I earn my stripes to say that I'm a composer? You know, it's like mm. even everything has that. And, like, you know, you live in New York and they're like, oh, you have to wait seven years. And then they're like, no, you got to wait 10 call yourself in New York or whatever it's like right you know achieve achievement things to call yourself you know like so composer producer that whole project I was like oh my god uh I just want to put this out like so now I'm working on the second one and it's almost finished um which I've been working on during quarantine nice yeah so that I think doing doing that was kind of like putting myself out there and I think part two of it is happening now again in a different way which I'm experiencing as we go. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Putting out your, it was that your first ever release as like yourself. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's- and that's like, again, it's like I work with so many amazing people and artists and like producers and writers and writers. And so I just really like see it at such a high level of expertise. And it's like, you, I don't want to, you know, but you, every, you have to start somewhere. Like you can't like just, expect right. to be really good at everything but then again it's like should i not try something because it's like you know well i i think it's a little different from everybody calling themselves a photographer if you like use an iphone kind of thing it's like i sometimes fear that like i don't want to be like just being like oh i'm th- i'm a composer now or like i'm this now it's like you know what i mean yeah yeah i mean there's like well what's interesting is like you can compose something and therefore like arguably you're a composer but to some people it means like oh this is like what again that 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 single uh commitment to a thing it's like oh you're only a composer if you spend x amount of time or yeah some other criteria that they're evaluating what it means to be a composer or right. a criteria right. no one's really evaluated but they're just like kind of judging from the side like oh you're not because it's only your first record but if it was your 50th, then maybe, maybe you wouldn't guarantee to be a composer. Right. Maybe there's another criteria that, you know, so I get that. Yeah. It's hard to know. And that's sort of that downside of like labeling is like, well, if I'm a composer, like what else does, what else do you bring with that? You know, what else does that mean? Now I'm curious, having worked with very high level people, uh, is there any, have you ever spoken to them about like where, where they started? You know, like, and, and what yeah. inspired in their process. I have had a couple conversations with some people that I, like, really admire. And I normally wouldn't have asked them about these things because I would have been embarrassed. <laughs> or I would have just felt like, I don't know, like, like, it, like a lot of times you want to be, you know, I want to be like, you know, I'm... I'm doing, I'm working with you. I'm giving you strings or sounds or whatever. So it'd be mm. like, oh, here's where I'm like super insecure. You're kind of like, oh, but. Uh, right. Oh no, she's a human. Oh no. Get her out of here. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I've done that recently and it's been so great. The little tidbits of information that I've gotten back. I've been like, wow, that was awesome. Like just things to think about in a way that I hadn't. <clears throat> 
So yeah, it's great. Any, anything yeah. you care to share to uh, to the community here? Uh, I guess one thing about like trying to design my, not design, but just like format, like get the flow of my show down. I was just talking about like, how do you know? Like, what do you, like, what do you, whatever. And he would just had told me, the singer artist um, told me to like, really think about like, if you were going to your own show, like, what would you right. want to see? And it was just like a really simple thing that like, I hadn't thought about. It was more like thinking about what other people would want to see, but turning it around on like a different role, playing a different role of being the person yeah. that wants to go see something like, I was like, whoa, that's like really cool way of thinking about it. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Those simple reframes where you're like, oh, wait, that's like the simplest way of saying something. And it's not mm-hmm. like anything that complex, but yeah, sometimes they're the most truthful because at the end of the day, like music and art are these shared experiences where you see a piece or you hear something or you experience it and you're like, this connects with me. Dumb. Like that's the only yeah. box it really needs to check. Not if you're a composer or not, not if you're classical or hybridizing that somehow. If that's all of that's aside, it's like, did their work affect me? Uh, right. And that's probably why we, you got into it. It's, it's why I got into it. Um, yeah. And I, don't, I think that's so universal. Um, that's a really great point. Yeah, it, it's crazy to like, I think when when you live in such a creative space in terms of like work, play and downtime around your friends, like sometimes it gets confusing that it's, you know, also business. Like one of my mentors is, all, is always reminding me that it's called music business and like the mm-hmm. business part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and like sometimes it's just really hard to like know that that's there and that you need to like be aware of all those things, but then also like mm. be your most natural, authentic self in order to connect with audiences. And it's like, when it all is one thing, it's very hard to kind of like tap into one um, role, mm. I guess, a way of putting Yes. It. It's such a balancing act, especially like I feel like from what I've seen, again, you, you seem like one of those people that has been able to navigate that better than other people or, or more, you know. I mean, better. I don't know. I don't know better. I hate that word, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think as I go along in my career, I definitely see where I could be better at certain things, but also it's kind of like, I'm thinking about this today about roller coasters and like the feeling you get right as you're about to get on the roller coaster, like the new one that's like way scarier. And then you feel that initial push and you're like, Oh my God, like this is bigger, better roller coaster. I feel like that. Man, I forgot. I was losing my train. I lost my train of thought. But um, basically just that as I go along and get those feelings, it's like it it, it just, um, uh, man, I forgot what I was going to say. We were talking about, yeah, I was saying how you've been able to navigate sort of this business and oh. art. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, it's like leaning into that feeling and taking it as like excitement, but also not being scared of it. I think like when I was little, this is okay. Now I remember when I was little, I would love that feeling. And I was very, very fearless and would ride roller coasters like a maniac and like do very like adrenaline. Like I'm just being, I li- always liked that. But now I'm like, God, I don't even know that I would get on a roller coaster because I'm hurt, worried about my neck or like my wrist or something. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I don't know. It's like tapping into that feeling creatively but also being smart about it as an adult like business-wise and like that's that's again just like hard to not 
you know, then get kind of shielded off to the world in certain ways, like can be a reaction to that to try to like protect yourself. And sometimes I struggle with that about being, you know, not pushing myself in certain ways, but I don't know that any of that made sense at all. Not only did it make sense, but it like opened up so many thoughts of things that I want to cover. Cause one of the topics I chose was business savviness specifically because you're operating on like a, you know, a, a level where, I mean, you're, you're playing performances where people are, you know, lots of people are there. This is like high level work, you know, right. um, where they've been practiced for a while, a very long time. And so like, you know, the business component of this is inherently there. That's a big piece of it. And I was curious, like how you were managing that, how you were navigating creativity in business. And, and I think what you're getting into, at least how I saw it is like this feeling of like uh, free falling or what might happen, like this excitement and potential for fun, but the risk associated with it, like risk management is where business comes in and the free fun we might fall is like the play creative space. Yeah. And like being okay with both of those happening. Um, yeah. And I, I also, one thing is I want to be sensitive to the fact that like, I want people to enjoy music and art and feel like they grew as a person by experiencing that. So it's like, I never want, I, I always struggle sometimes with things being like self-indulgent or being like, I don't want to just be a musician just so that I can call myself an artist and like mm. operate as that I feel some people do not, maybe not even consciously, but it's like, I really want to give people something that they can make them a better person or have them experience life in a better way. So I think that like, that's also just being sensitive to that. And uh, mm. but business business wise, I am getting better about all just <laughs> working. I am like I'm analytical, but like there's certain things that like I'm not super good at, like when it comes to business stuff, number related things like that, and just like knowing what to know, like in business mm. about a business and also thinking of myself as a small business, which is kind of like a new thing because it's weird to like commoditize, commodify yourself a little bit. Um, yeah. But you kind of have, you kind of have to, can be done in like an elegant way and not make you feel like crap, which is what I was honestly like really worried about, but I'm getting better at it. Yeah. I want to talk about the self-indulgence piece, like, and where art for the self versus art for others. Yeah. How you've thought about that. <laughs> yes, Blaine, I am a bitch. It's true. Um, um, I think art can, should be yourself. But also, I think when you're dealing with like, I don't know how to even start with this topic. Start anywhere and we could find our, our way around it. Yeah, I, I feel like you you want to be authentic and you want to be true to yourself and you want it to come from that place. I don't know. I think some people do. Maybe they don't even realize it, but like chasing fame, I think maybe mm. is what I'm talking about. I was talking about this recently, just like the dangers of like chasing fame and like what that can do to mm. like your art and also just and how that can make things like I, I just feel like you'll get in your own way in some ways. Like, I don't know. It's like not, I feel like you. it's very apparent. Like it works. You can be successful if you were just trying to get famous, of course. Like so many people do that. But like, it's not my goal in terms of like the way that you approach the whole thing. And it's like, if you approach like the artist, 
a thing and you're there's some sometimes it, that can just totally because it comes with 100 percent about listeners numbers like all this stuff and it's like more than that i want people to to take away from listening to the music more than like if 5,000 people listen to it over five, like if those five really like listen to it, like one of my, the coolest stats on Spotify is that like how many people listen to it again. And it's mm. like that number means so much more to me than like the list. I got my like Spotify like monthly artist thing and it was like not that many, but then you look at that part it's like how much people watch it over again and it's like that's like the most amazing thing to me that like because those pieces i have like a library of them song pieces whenever like different symphonies versus like you know quartet music or an artist or old you know like those certain songs that i will listen to a thousand times and they've like changed my life so yeah i i love that that idea that like it's not just about growing this individual number one person that streams it for 30 seconds and now they count in this total but the people yeah. are back because they really connect with it and then scaling the business from there like scaling yeah. people that really connect with it yeah and it's like that part's important too scaling and growing and like that's important too but i just don't think it should be the basis for for why you want to be an artist because it's such a privilege to be a musician and like do that you know it's like it's so important Definitely. Um, I'm curious, like for you, where you said what moment it was where you wanted to be an artist and over time, how you what you felt you wanted your contributions as an artist to be. Um, well, I think my contributions are ever changing. I think ever since I was a little girl, like wanting to perform has been like my like dream. And I would do it for my parents, my dolls, my neighbors, like but just take people out of their world where they're at and go somewhere either internally or like with their friends or something. Um, but I think some of my most memorable performances I saw somebody do this was I was at a music school called Metamount, which is a like string school that you go to in the summer when you're little. Like you audition and you go and study with teachers and play with like others. And it was, that's a very simplified like explanation of it, but. I saw this uh, girl perform a violin concerto and she had the most beautiful dress on and she played so amazingly. And I just remember being like, ah, like, this is so amazing. Like, and I, I remember thinking that I wanted to do that. And I think I was probably eight or nine years old. Mm. Um, and then my first rock concert that I saw, like in an arena, I saw Red Hot Chili Peppers with Gnarled Barkley and he had a string section on stage there and i was like that's like i want to do that <laughs> i just remember seeing it and, and i was like i had no idea. i never even what, thought that that was possible i was gonna say what was it that sort of clicked for you was it yeah the fact that like you can be on a rock stage and still have yeah that, yeah instrument and then i saw lady gaga a year or two later <laughs> um at that same stadium in Dallas, where I'm from, and she had a, I'm forgetting her name, but she, I think still probably tours or plays with her now. She had an amazing pink electric violin, and I was like, that's, I want to do that too. <laughs> so there was a coolness factor to it as well. And like, yeah. I, yeah. I want to talk a little bit more about business because I just feel like it's a topic I haven't really covered on the series. And sure. One that with the artists I know and even myself, like, I feel like if anything, I'm more on like the business end than most. 
And so like, I'm curious there where like, there's this in, these inspirational moments where you said, I want to be an artist. Where did business start creeping in on that? Uh, like the girl, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, the business, it, it was kind of a slow reveal. Like, I think that there's like a fear instilled in you. Like, you know, just even the like label of starving artist. I, mm-hmm. I thought about that stuck in my head so long that like there, that there's, there's something noble about that, but also that there's, that like that's if you're an artist you know like Mozart died in a pauper's grave and nobody listened to music I mean there's so many amazing composers that like not you know Mozart was a nobody you know it's like so your biggest heroes can be you know like the the business element is not what makes it great I guess um and I guess now you know you can you can see it like with artists that branch out and sell merch and like on major scales of like financial success and business or whatever that it's like the business there's again the music and then the music business and the business of music it's like it's 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 like massive but I think like as I slowly started to like make money as a musician like at the time I was also modeling so then I was making money modeling as well so like that was a very kind of confusing thing especially as a model because like through your agencies and I think I was like 22 like they don't really tell you about a lot of stuff business-wise and then you're freelancing as a gay musician and you just start getting checks and they're in your name and then they're just in your bank account and then oh then now there somebody's asking me to put together a quartet for a friend and then now all of a sudden I'm hiring people like it, it's the slow thing that kind of is like now you're in business like you don't even really realize it's happening it's not like one day you join a business and like mm-hmm. you know like taxes like sometimes if, if you do a job through like SAG, a SAG commercial like SAG will pay you or like you know the union or whatever it's like it, it, you're just kind of slowly learning all these things as you go but then you're mm-hmm. also trying to like make a mark in the industry and in your career like so it's all happening like very quickly and you don't really know what's going on that's kind of where i operated and i kind of just been like all right so i have to change my thinking in some ways or maybe just adapt my thinking like we were talking about earlier is adapting to like what's working and what's not and and think that way yeah and that it's possible to be a musician an artist and then also be like in in business savvy as well yeah it, you're allowed to know like how to read music and also how to like understand what write-offs are and they they can co-exist. Right. <laughs> they can co-exist, yes. Um, you said the business element is not what makes it great and I love that. Um, I re- like there's always these gems in these these discussions and, and I think oftentimes like people are trying to like integrate the business in it and it's like this supportive vehicle to protect you from like you know, getting audited or something and like to hopefully help yeah. you make more money to survive. But like you said, right. it's not what makes the whole project great. It, business right. can be well run and there can be great ideas that are generated from the business side of things, but it's not at the core what makes it great. It's it's the person. It's how if they sleep or not, it's how they connect with the audience. It's how they're thinking about that audience and incorporating them and and the right. the creative right. side of things. So I, I love that having that balance is yeah. it is a balance. I mean, it's not always perfectly balanced either. Sometimes conversations are like all about taxes and like you want to rip your hair out, but it's like yeah, I, I think that's like really inside of me. That's like itchy. Like it feels like there's like 
like and it like oh drives me crazy but like again it's like something i've had to really like lean into and like get my head around yeah um because again you have to live somewhere right and that's the thing it's like with titles again because we're like oh we're creative people as soon as the idea of business comes in or the taxes come in there's some right. immediate aversion that like, I don't think there's times where I even noticed the aversion or especially in the past, I've definitely grown more comfortable with it. But like, where it's like, oh, that's not me. Like just shoots right past my brain. Like it's yeah. not part of that identity, but really like, I think there are people that have made it work. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think it is yeah. this ever evolving balance. Yeah. It's, yeah. You have, you have to do it. You have to do it. And it will make well, everything better. So speaking of things that you have to do, Practice is a topic that has come in. I'm curious for you how you're thinking about practice. Uh, you said you've been going to uh, camps about violin since you were eight. So clearly yeah. you've been practicing. What is your yeah. practice like? How has it changed over the years? What have you found to like work? and? Not- yeah, so practice is again like a big pillar of that kind of classical tradition. Like there would be kids that practice at music school they would like have competitions to see who could practice 10 hours a day and they would practice 10 hours a day and they would like, and that's very common, but like physically that's like, <laughs> that's crazy physically. Um, yeah. But, you know, practice it. And again, at the school I was talking about before, like you would wake up at eight practice from nine to 12 and then again, four to five every single day. And there would be practice monitors and, you know, pr- accountability and practice is a big, part of learning to play a string instrument like be just because like the nature of what it is like you have to practice you have to you're learning muscle memory you're learning like technique all of these things but you know as an adult like I think my relationship with practice is kind of confusing because I do have all of that like baggage in still in my brain forever so it's like days that like I don't even look at my violin like I'll feel very guilty and feel that I've like done something inherently wrong um not even taking into consideration like time or like that there wasn't you know whatever I was doing things with my time elsewhere that needed to be done such as the business element of stuff so ebb and flow and like learning that like learning to practice smarter I think I'm the best I've ever been at practicing in just terms of like, like the other day I was playing and I felt like I only played for like an hour, maybe a little bit less. And I felt like I had just gotten so much work done. And so I think that that's one thing that you learn over time is like how to practice better. Um, But then again, also like learning how to practice versus writing time versus like creative, just like being with your instrument time is all different kind of brain spaces. And also like practicing for a performance is different from practicing just to like get your left hand vibrato better or like get improving your spiccato because you fucked it up at a recording session. Like, mm. you know, versus like, I want to sit down and like work on a new song or like I had a melody that I kind of want to like expand on or think about or like, you know, like I have an artist that I'm working on the string arrangement and I want to like, live in that sound world for a bit so it's like it's really hard to like compartmentalize what's practice what but it's all you know the same motion it's all the same physical thing but it's a different mental approach um i I love those distinctions practice 
learning, uh, learning to be with your instrument, like learning your instrument, learning for a performance or practicing per, for a performance, just playing and just being with it and like experimenting yeah. uh, versus exploring its like specific areas. Yeah. yeah. That, you mentioned practicing smarter. I want to know there, like, what does that, like, I think part of that might be drawing those distinctions, but like right. beyond that, what is, how does one practice smarter? Well, you know, if you hear so, you know, if you see something, say something, that's the New York. Moment. So New York of you, yeah. It's like, for me, it's like, if you hear something, do something. Like if you hear, like if you're going through a passage and like you just played it completely out of tune, rather than thinking, oh, like go back and fix it, you know? And like, I think sometimes when we're playing through things fast or just like playing scales a million times, just to like practice skills, if you're not actually going back and fixing the things that you did wrong and then you're just doing new things that are wrong or like it's kind of like wasted practice. Like, mm. you know, some people will be like, yeah, I practiced in like with watching TV and like maybe that works. I mean, it, it doesn't really for me in the times I've attempted to do that. Mm. But it just like I just don't really want to like waste. I would rather be like not practicing than just, you know, just pretending like I'm practicing like. Yeah. Like, do you feel like. I feel like if you're not being conscious about your practice, then it's not really practice. Mm. Okay. But you can practice in your mind. Like sometimes on airplanes, like I remember when I would take auditions or if I'm, you know, going on tour, um, I will like take my music and look at my music and physically like go through it in my head. Or like if I'm trying to memorize something, like I will do this and like play it in my mind and see how far I can go. And as soon as you get to the point where you can't, you don't know physically what it feels like to play what you're playing like once that ends and you know you don't know it you you gotta go where it is you gotta go you gotta go <laughs> so it's like that's like that's a way to practice that i enjoy because you're like oh like it's actually like a place in my brain where like something is not lined up or or you're relying on luck or just muscle memory like if you're not conscious of the like i guess this is also yeah, for like written parts. If you're not conscious of it, then if you're just kind of getting lucky that you might know it. Right. Like I wanna so practice being this I don't want to say rigid thing, but a formal thing. <laughs> um and you've been in this practice space. I mean, you're the first person who's ever mentioned the different forms of practice. Um I love that concept. I never really thought of it that way. It's so broken out. Um mm -hmm. and so as someone who loves to dissect, this is great uh, to yeah. look at on, on the paper, but practice becomes this regimented, focused, intentional thing. Where does play come into that? How do you you specifically bridge that gap where it's like, this is rigid, but now like, I'm going to let all that go and like get enter into this other space. Have you struggled with that or like, yeah, ways of doing it? Absolutely. Sometimes it will include um, like, sitting cross-legged or sitting on the floor or like not getting my bow out and just using my violin or doing something that feels like I'm being bad. <laughs> and again, it speaks to my, like, you know, the culture that of learning an instrument at a particular level that these are all things like help you be a good player. So kind of breaking sometimes those rules or whatever you want to call them, like will help feel like you're, or just like jamming out or if like, you know, you don't have really good lighting or like, 
you're just, or you don't have a goal in mind or like a set time limit. Like the time doesn't even matter. And like, I guess a lot of the things or you know, yeah, I guess one of the main ways to kind of not have a goal in mind is a great way to feel like you just shell in with your instrument. And like, if I do this for 10 minutes and I want to stop at 11 minutes, then that's fine. But if I was in yeah. practice mode, it would be like, that's you were lame. <laughs> yeah. This is really interesting to me because I think a lot of people that get into creative work, they don't start from a place of practice where like that culture is instilled in them. So they kind of start in the play space where it's Mm -hmm. always new shit. It's always new routines. It's always no goal in mind. And then over time, they're being introduced to practice as this like antithesis to creativity. But I think what you're you're coming at from the other end, which is like practice is so important. And then it allows you, if you can, when you turn off the regimented mind to, to embrace this play space. Um, so it's right. interesting seeing this duality. Both are necessary, but, uh, you know, ha- seeing you come at it from the other other angle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like definitely something I've learned over time when I like started playing with artists and band uh, when I was at NYU and kind of experimenting in a different space musically where I was like, oh, like, this is cool. Like, that you can even, that you're even allowed to do this with this instrument. Like, I want to talk about collaboration because you just mentioned NYU and uh, you talked earlier about the different artists you work with and conversations you've had. I'm wondering like what collaborative experiences have you had that have been like really fruitful for the creative work Um, and the opposite, if you want to get into those as well. Um, is there like a time frame or like a genre that you mean or? Well, if you think it's going to be different depending on time or genre, then just make the distinction. But, um, I mean, it could be recently, it could be in the past. Yeah, I think, um, I think there's been so many instances of amazing collaboration. Um, I guess the most recent one that I can think of like right now was like two days ago at a recording session I did in New Jersey. And we did the one full track that we were playing to parts arrangements. It was a quartet uh, with piano and voice. And we did that song. And then afterwards, like, well, during a break, during lunch, the artist was playing her next song and just kind of like playing it a little bit. And the cellist and I just kind of started like improvising over it just for fun Mm -hmm. while they were like setting up mics. I think they really just needed us to play for mic my placement um and kind of improvised this whole thing and it just was like so lovely to play together i felt like we really connected and then at the end of the session for the song the producer asked us if we would like record that and just kind of do it again a few times and we were like hell yeah and that was just a beautiful like improvisate like completely unexpected and totally like super powerful and such a great um configuration of artistry that just was like a really natural thing that happened so that was really cool I think this summer I collaborated you know 
I guess the last year and a half, I've had to really adapt to um, the times and do a lot of remote recording. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the my favorite like kind of collaborative thing that I've done over the last few months has been with Clean Bandit and working on their string parts for their upcoming music. So we did all these. Uh, the last session that I had in person was with them in March 2020. Mm-hmm. And then we just would like work remotely. So that experience of like, Working with them, plus doing it from two opposite sides of the world is like really, really, really cool. Mm-hmm. And then they just recently released it, and like I've heard it in some really random places and had people send me like recordings of them hearing it at random places, and it's like the dopest thing ever. Like, yeah, and and that's like a special type of like collaboration that like didn't really even exist in my mind a year ago. So yeah, and. Of course, like every time I play music with somebody else physically, you know, it it is an active collaboration because you're learning, you're experiencing them and their artistry in real time and like just feel and what they have to say. Um, It's always such a trip um, because you can really, you really, like, I will say that, like, you can like really learn about a person, especially for me, a, a string player. I'm like, Oh, I, I know exactly who you are, but it, I, and, and I think no matter what level you are, like just how you approach mm-hmm. music, um, you don't have to be a, a perfect player to like show who you are musically. So, and that allows for collaboration with somebody else, which is like, honestly, the best part. And, you know, you, you collaborate with it, with an audience. I think like that's one of my hardest things that I'm getting better at is like collaborating with the artist in a different way than I have in the past, which is verbally, like when I'm doing my own shows. So it's like a new way of collaboration in that regard. So yeah, I mean, I guess like collaborating is like the best part of music making in a lot of ways because you're so often surprised and leave and leave the moment so much richer. And that's what I love to do, actually. <laughs> Excellent. I mean, you mentioned a lot there, the improvisational aspect, the unexpected nature, and just being around other artists, being able to feel them, experience them in real time. I want to start wrapping up because I don't want to take too much of your time. Lastly, I'm curious, have you ever had an experience? Well, I have two questions. Have you ever had an experience where you kind of fell out of love with what you're doing? And what was that experience kind of going back? I think that there's always like a sense of doubt, maybe that sometimes will creep in that like maybe what you're doing is not like good enough or worthwhile or what, you know, insert, insert doubt here. Um, and I think sometimes that makes you like question what you're doing. And I think that's like a natural um, thing that is a part of the creative process and everything that you're doing. Like, I think there's a meme that's like a circle chart of like, have an idea, work on it. Think the idea is great quit the idea have an idea like it just kind of but there's like a quote that i read that the temptation to quit is greatest right before you succeed and i think that there's a lot of truth to that for myself is that it's like and i think part of the reason why that is is because you're chipping away at something and when you get to that state of like surrender or like feeling like you've done everything you can that's usually when because you've done everything you can and you've been so true to it that like you exhausted you that the sometimes that's when like things 
slick. <clears throat> Perhaps that's why. Um, but I think that like if we're being honest with ourselves, like with all parts of life, like you can't think like nothing is gonna give you everything that you need, mm. like whether it's relationships or like art or like even just like where your home life your like your like there's always going to be something so I think that like it's good to be like honest with yourself about that and my friend Nicole who I know was watching earlier but in a post where she was talking about motivation and that just like motivation is like kind of a lie and then if you're waiting for motivation to do Mm. something it's like you're never going to be motivated like all the time to do whatever it is so yeah, I would say yes. Of course, I've had like ebbs and flows with like my creative process or whatnot. Yeah, great. There was there were some quotes in there. The temptation to quit is greatest right before you succeed, and nothing is going to give you everything all the time, and or nothing is going to give you everything you need. Mm-hmm. And the quote: insert doubt here. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's a poster right there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. My last question, I've asked several people because I want their unique take on it. So I'm working on a book uh, with my buddy Christian, who is commenting. We're taking these interviews and the insights from that. We're going to, we discuss them. We develop more ideas and we're putting this into a book. And I have tons of ideas of what I want to include. If you were to write your own book on the creative process to gift yourself, what would it have been? What would it be? Finding your voice, chapter one, finding your voice, chapter two, accepting failure, (laughs) chapter three, coming back from failure, chapter four, enjoying the process, chapter five, thinking like a business, chapter six, take a break, and go outside. Chapter seven. <laughs> Don't stop. Real we'll estate. Real we'll The whole book. Chapter seven. Something about criticism. Or chapter eight would be about um, grow room for growth and adapting to change. Because between chapters one and seven, there's been quite a bit of change. I'd say. Huh? Mm-hmm. And chapter nine which is often one of the best tracks on an album. I guess it would be like letting go of letting go of it all. Letting, letting go. Wow. That's what I, that would be it. Oof, maybe. That was, a, that was amazing. And I think I might just steal this now, actually. Not. I'll, I'll, you'll have to talk to my lawyer. No, <laughs> you'll be, you'll be hearing from my lawyer. <laughs> No, these are great topics. Um, and I did not expect chapter by chapter. That was awesome. Um, and a great sequence. Well, I cannot thank you enough for attending, for sharing your insecurities and vulnerabilities and your experience. It's really My pleasure. Uh, super important. <laughs> and I know it helped a lot of people that were on the live today and that are going to be watching it later. So I always enjoy catching up with you. You're inspiring, you're creative, insanely talented, funny, all the good things. I'm like, thank you. So round of applause for Molly. If you don't follow her, what is your what is your handle at Mol Fizzle. M O L F I Z Z L E. 
Well said, Will. So give her a follow. And thank you so much. I will see yeah, you. Yeah, thank you very soon. Yeah, let's do it.